Brilliant. So I, I don't know what kind of a week or a month or a year you've had. Uh, maybe it's been a good one. Have you ever had one of those days where it seems to start well, but by the end of the day, total disaster? Ever, ever experienced that? So I, I found this little article. Um, I, I'm not sure how true it is, but it, it is absolutely hilarious. Um, this guy had bought himself uh, a $35,000 Jeep, you know, a nice truck in America, in Michigan, and, uh, you know, he bought it on HP, so it's going to cost him about $400 a month. Anyway, so he gets the truck. First thing he does is he phones his mate up and says, let's go duck hunting. So, brilliant. So, him and his mate, they get in the truck, they get their beards, they get their guns, they take their faithful lab with them, and off they go up into the lakes. Now, it's in the middle of winter. Middle of winter, they come out and they drive out onto the frozen lake, they park and they think, hmm, how are we going to create a decent landing strip for the ducks? Now, I think one must have worked in demolition, so he had brought with him dynamite. Well, hell. Now, so, but they had only 40 seconds to do this. So he's thinking, if we go and lay a charge out there, it could be a bit dodgy. We'd light it, and then you could imagine, you know, trying to run on ice away from the dynamite might be an issue. So bright spark, lit the fuse, and threw it as hard as he could. Did I mention it was a dog? Yes, I did. Okay. The dog, highly trained in retrieving, legged it out after the dynamite, takes a hold of the dynamite. In that moment, the pair of them, who have moved away from the truck and are stood at a little bit of a distance, freak. Because, and the dog's thinking, they're waving, they're shouting, they're encouraging me. And so now the dog is now running full pelt towards them with lit dynamite. One of the guys decides to try and shoot the dog. So he then, the dog freezes, thinks, what are they doing? The only shelter on the lake is the Jeep. So the dog legs it under the Jeep with a lit dynamite. Boom. Oh, you're all like, this is supposed to be a happy story. G dog the law, saints. It started out well, but it's definitely ending pretty badly. We got us even worse. The insurance guys came back and said, illegal use of dynamite. <laughs> We're not even paying out. The guy hasn't even paid his first $400 on the vehicle. He hasn't even got a vehicle to show for it. No, it started out really well with great intention. Listen, the reality is I don't know if that's true. It's out of the Darwin Awards. Does anyone you know? They're quite funny, aren't they? Listen, I don't know what kind of a day, week, month, year you've had. But we're going to meet a man today in this story. Because we're working our way through the book of Mark. Uh, the king and his cross. We're going to meet a man who starts his day probably in a pretty tough place. But by the end of the day, his entire world has been turned upside down. We're going to meet a blind man who receives his sight. I mean, imagine, just close your eyes for a second. To be living in a darkness, in a, living in the shadows and the clouds, in the blurriness of poor vision, and then suddenly, 
being able to open his eyes and look at this panoramic HD color, his life has changed forever. And it was changed because Jesus came to town. So you're ready to have your eyes open this morning. Brilliant. Okay, so why don't we open up Mark's gospel? We're in chapter 8. We're going to be uh, kicking off from verse 22. It says this, and it's going to come up on the screen. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he spat on the man's eye, hmm, nice, he spat on the man's eye and then placed his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, and I think this is, I see, I see, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And then once more, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes and the eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he, I love this. And he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked them, who do people say I am? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, the other, still others, one of the other prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you're the Christ. And Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. I absolutely love the Gospels, in particular because of Jesus' ministry and healing and power. You know, I just want to draw a, a couple of very quick observations about this moment and this healing. The first thing is this. The crowd brought this man. You know, sometimes we find ourselves in situations where we just simply can't get to the place where we need help. And we need others to help us. Here is a man who is groping around in the darkness. Jesus has come to town. And in this situation, and as we've been, if you're joining us and visiting today, we've been kind of, you know, on this journey in Mark where often the crowd is an obstacle. And in fact, often the crowd would get in the way. In fact, often the sort of crowd but it was a real problematic and critical crowd. Here, it seems like it's a great crowd. It's a great crowd to rent. They're on his side. This guy can't see. And they bring him to Jesus. And they beg Jesus to make him well. And he does. No questions asked. We'll explore some of this. The, thing, the second thing, just a quick observation is this. It's not instant, though, is it? His eyesight is restored in stages. Now, that's fascinating. Because, let's be honest, he can do anything. So often as we walk our way through this gospel, 
You see, all it took was one word from Jesus and stuff happened. All it took was one touch, one word, one prayer. Sometimes they weren't even in the room with him or even in the vicinity. Somebody else came along and said, my servant is unwell. And he said, your faith has now made them well. But here, there's two touches. It generates some... If you're like me, I'm a bit of a ferret. I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? Is this significant? Can you imagine? Let's, listen, I want to invite you and encourage you today to step into this gospel moment. Actually climb in and go, can you imagine being the guy? Being led out of the village. You see, they, they, these guys have got used to me. And my ridiculous walks, you know. But, um, you know, can you imagine being led out? And then this, this, this Jesus is, like, speaking to you. And then suddenly he's, like, spitting in your face. <laughs> and then he's going, what can you see? And I'm like, it, but can you just put yourself in this moment? Can you imagine opening your eyes? Something has changed. He's gone from darkness to blurred vision. There has been a shift. I'll tell you what, if I was that guy, I mean, I know sometimes it's about personality. I'd be grabbing Jesus and going, spit in my eye again, quick. Because <laughs> whatever you're doing, it's working. Can you imagine the joy, suddenly, the freedom, the possibility? This Jesus is now... He's given me my life back. Wow. You know, sometimes we look at these stories and we do it sort of from a, sort of almost a sterile kind of position. I think there would have been tears and joy and, whoa. I want to suggest today as we go through this stuff, Jesus is in the business of bringing sight to blind people. He did it in the past, and he's going to do it today in the present. And I want to suggest, and we will go here, because we are a church that believes in the miracles and the healing, not of the past, but also of the present. So we will pray for eyesight today. And I'm looking around, and I'm seeing a lot of glasses, including my own. So hey, we'll go there. You know, I'll just tell you this really funny story. One night, me and Victoria were in bed. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. We have a healthy relationship. All right, we're in bed and we're reading. And, 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 and uh, you know, I put light out and we go, we go to sleep. Anyway, we wake up in the morning. Well, I don't, I'm out, I'm out cold. Tor is like, wake up, wake up. I'm like, what is going on? I can see. I can see. And I turned around to her. I said, that's great, darling. Oh, she said, you don't understand. I can actually see. What had happened was she'd fallen asleep with her contacts in. But what I, what, what, what I want to just get across here, it, you know, and we do pray for her eyesight, bless her. Oh, I, sometimes I think, I hope she doesn't see me clearly. There'll be an issue here. But... What I'm saying is the joy in that moment was extraordinary. Jesus 
wants to do that in our lives. Yes, physically, but actually he wants to do it also emotionally and spiritually. He wants us to see some stuff more clearly, okay? And that's where we're going today. And then the final just little quick observation is this. Isn't it interesting, after all that, this moment, this man is given a new life and new freedom and new sight, he sends him home. He says, don't go back to where things were dark. Don't go back into the environment where you were blind. Now, we don't know how he ended up being blind, but there seems to be, and again, in my little head, I'm like, there seems to be a connection with the blindness in this place. Jesus says, do not return to the place of blindness and darkness, but I have, I, there is a home for you to go to. There is a place where you belong, and it's not there. It's over there. These just little observations about this, this sense, this amazing, amazing moment. And so, maybe for some of us here this morning, you, there is a sense where you're in a place where you hoped it would be home. But actually, if you're really honest with yourself, you're not. I want to suggest to you today, in this moment, in this passage, there is hope for you. Because some of us hope for a home, but actually, for whatever reason, we're not there. And we're not there because we've not met Him who wants to open our eyes of our heart first. There is a home for you. But it's just not where you are right now in your own personal walks and life. For whatever reason. And so there are moments in life, I think, guys, that we kind of get stuck, if you like. Just hit the next slide. We can get stuck in the present. But I want to suggest this. <laughs> that's, a, that's a surreal moment, that, isn't it? I want to, you know, do you not agree? There are times in our lives, whether we've been Christians for 30 years, or maybe you would say, hey, I'm not a Christian, but I kind of like this stuff, or I've been kind of lassoed and roped in here today. But the reality is, in life, we can get stuck. And it, for some of us, as I was preparing this, it feels like some of us are stuck. We're stuck in the present. But in this passage, there is a new future waiting. Jesus wants to call you out of that place of stuck. You've got stuck. But he's the one who's going to unstick you. Jesus does not want any of us to be living with a sense of blindness and blurriness. A sense where we feel like we've lost direction or momentum or movement. And if we're honest, there are moments where we go, I just don't want to be here right now. What, whether that's in a job context, possibly in terms of some stuff around relationships. But I don't know how to get out. I, I don't want to live groping around. In the darkness. I don't want to be just led by other people. I've lost my sense of identity in, in this. There's a new future for you. 
and it's found in him. You know, sometimes, guys, you know, I often, when I read this, I think, why on earth did he spit in their eye, in his eye? Do you know what? I think there are times in our lives we can get so desperate for change, we don't care what actually triggers the change. We get to a place where we know, oh, I need to change. I want to change. I'm fed up of walking in circles and being blind to the life and to purposes of God. And sometimes we get to a place where we go, I'll do whatever. Do whatever you want. You know what? I think that's a really healthy place to be because it's about surrender. And if Jesus comes along and spits in your eye and suddenly clarity comes, amen. It's funny, isn't it? But I just want to, some of us may feel somewhat stuck today. But there is a new future waiting for you. And so sometimes we get stuck. And uh, sometimes, just if you click on the next slide, some, two things often that I think run through our heads and our hearts. Often we get stuck and we think it's my making. And at other times we think it's actually God's making and he's actually punishing, punishing us in some way. That we feel stuck because we've maybe made some decisions. It's my doing. I've maybe made some unwise decisions and now I'm living with the consequences of that. But, you know, that can be true sometimes. And maybe this guy who is a blind guy, and I'm going to take some license here, he may have made some decisions along the line and he's ended up in a place where he probably shouldn't be. But the beauty of this story is this. Jesus has grace for it all. And he comes and he stands and Jesus touches his eyes and Jesus touches his life. You know, I know in my own life there are times when I have made decisions that haven't been the best decisions and I've painted myself into a corner or I've, you know, used whatever analogy you want and suddenly I realize I am restricted and it's my fault. 25, actually 30 years nearly I've been a Christian. You know what the answer is and it's the same answer is when I come and I bring that stuff to him, to Jesus, suddenly I'm released from it. I don't know where you're at today. You may be feeling the sense of, oh, there's some stuff in my life I'm, sh- I'm, I'm ashamed of, actually. And I feel restricted by And it's blinding me. And it's, set, it's kind of closed in and around me. And I don't know how to get out of it. The answer is the same. Let Jesus touch you. Come to him. There's no, you know, you know that moment? that he, We don't have a record of the conversation between Jesus and the blind man. Maybe there was no conversation. It's like, God's here, and I'm going to make it right. And same with this whole idea, maybe God's punishing me because of stuff I've done. I just want to say to you now, I don't think that's right. Because in this moment, Jesus unmakes whatever that has, whatever's happened. He unmakes it, doesn't he? His grace for us is totally sufficient. Lots of, In terms of the culture of this day, people would have possibly perceive that that guy's blind because he screwed up and God is judging him. You know, all the way through, in fact, a bunch of times, especially around blindness, Jesus says the absolute opposite. He says he hasn't sinned and neither has his family, but I'm, we're going we're gonna to see the glory of God revealed in this today. Jesus is the one that unsticks us. Okay? Jesus unmakes this blindness and sense of restriction. Okay. 
And so I, I just want to say to you today, none of Jesus doesn't want any of us to be sort of living a life of a blind man's buff. Remember that game? It cost me two teeth. It did. I often used to joke with it, you know, and say, oh, yeah, I lost two teeth. I was in a fight. You know, no, I walked into a pillar playing blind man's buff. You know, putting on, some of you are like, what's that? You see, it's an age thing, isn't it? You know, it's not computer-aided things, you know. We used to put a thing on it to get somebody. He doesn't want us walking around blind. Anyway, so, so for you, for us today, guys, I just sense in some of us, God wants to free us from some restrictions and he wants to bring clarity to some areas of our lives where we, it's become blurry. He wants to bring clarity to us. So why the two touches? Why twice? Why do they t- have to do it twice? When we, read, when we read the passage, how many of us went, that's a bit strange. Come on, let's have some interaction. Yeah. It, it's unusual. Do we think this, this blindness was incredibly stubborn? How many? A few of us? Think, yeah. How many of us? But here's the thing. Jesus stands outside a tomb and he says to a dead guy who's been dead for three days, Oi, Lazarus. Come out. And dead tissue is rejuvenated instantaneously. And here comes Lazarus. Well, he didn't come out as a mummy. Did you see what I mean? I don't think it was just stubborn blindness. So when I read this stuff, I'm like, oh, something deliberate is going on here. And the answer as we read this passage, is in the next paragraph. Because what we've got here is a story of not just one man receiving sight, but we've actually got a story of one man receiving physical sight and another receiving spiritual insight. It's not just one man being taken away from a crowd for his healing. It's a story about a group of men who are living with blurred vision, being removed from a crowd and taken up a hillside, and suddenly they have revelation. Can you see that in the passage? There's a little bit more to this than meets the eye. Boom, boom. Thanks. We're on the same wavelength. I gave you a fiver just to, you know, come out with that one. Excuse the pun. So the reality is, it's it's about receiving sight, it's receiving insight, and uh, it's like this two touches is a is a way, it's Jesus' way of saying to his friends, you need another touch. So let's just look, verse 27, Jesus and his disciples went to the villages around uh, Caesarea Philippi. He's been around the crowd, and now he calls his own disciples and friends. And do you know what he does? He leaves that area and he walks to the furthest point in the, on the Valley Jordan north. And it's days, days walking. And, he, and, he, and as they're walking, they're climbing all the time. The geography is they climb and they climb to the source of the Jordan River. And so they are stood looking out 
at this incredible panoramic view looking all the way south, all the way along the Jordan River, all the way down to Jerusalem. And it's in this context, in this moment of seeing it all, Jesus turns to them as they're walking along. And it's here's the thing, here's the first touch. He says, who do people say I am? What is the crowd? Who does the crowd think I am? And they're like, well, most people think you're like the prophets of old. And we see that, we see, don't we? We see that you're healing the sick. Nobody can do that unless God is seriously on the, the, your side. We see you like, oh, you fed people in the desert. Who else does stuff like that? Oh, yeah, Moses did that, didn't he? What about that moment when you walked on water? Who on earth? can speak to wind and rain and the sea and stuff happen. Oh yeah, Moses, he took a stick, didn't he? And he went, let's open up this sea. And there we go. And the Israelites all walked through it. Wow, we see, we see that you are like those guys of old. But also we realize there is something different about you. And we just can't put our finger on it. And and so he's asking, they all say that. They say that. They are seeing, but they're seeing blurry. John, uh, Mark's gospel was written by a guy called John Mark. And the vast majority of it is compiled by interviewing Peter. So this is Peter's account. I can imagine, you know, sitting on the couch. <laughs> you know, Mark sitting there with the mic. He's saying, okay, Peter, tell us some more stories. It's brilliant, isn't it? And Peter's like, no, no, you don't understand. For eight chapters, we've been asking the question. Who on earth is this Jesus? We've been asking it. The crowd's been asking it. Who is he? Because we saw all the way along the marks of God's hand upon him. We saw him with blurry eyes. And yet in this moment, when I walked up the mountain, it dawned on me why Jesus touched that man who was blind because we were so like him. You can imagine Peter with a wry smile on his face going, do you know what, Mark? We were so like this blind guy in Bethesda. Where Jesus pulled him out from the crowd and he touched his eyes twice and then he suddenly saw, and suddenly I'm realizing that's who we are. We saw it all just blurry until he asked us all again. But who do you now see? And he asked, who am I? And you can imagine Peter sitting on the couch saying to Mark, and suddenly I had a moment. I realized and I couldn't contain it. I realized he was way more than Moses, way more than the prophets of old. He's the one we've been waiting for. He's the one that all of this stuff is talking about. I suddenly dawned on me as I looked across the whole of Israel, the geography and history of Israel, I realized he's the one. He's the king. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ, the one we've been waiting for. And in that moment, Peter gets it. Or does he? Because he gets his title right. But what kind of a king is this Jesus going to be? And I reckon Peter would have been sat there with a smile on his face and thinking, Jesus is so brilliant a teacher. He did the most amazing Amazing object lesson. 
and then he took us on a walk and did exactly the same to us. The question we have to ask ourselves all the way through Mark's Gospel is this. Who, who, who do you believe him to be? Because he can be just a voice of history. He can be one who's a brilliant philosophical teacher. He can be the guy that, that, that yes, did miracles, but we're not really sure who he really is. Or he can, and he is who Peter says he is. And if he is, it changes everything. And there are people in this room today, including myself, at 17, who had their eyes open. I had an encounter with this Jesus of Nazareth. And, he's, and in that moment for me, I realized he's not just a voice of history, but he's a living friend, a living king who has a future for me and a future for you. just want to hit pause for a second and just change tack. I want to read um, out of Matthew's Gospel the same moment because it's uh, really interesting. And then we're going to wrap up. You guys always say, yeah, yeah, we believe you. In Matthew chapter 16, it's coming up on the screen from 17. It, this is the moment where Peter blurts out the answer. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are divine. Jesus replies and says this. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but my, by my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. This moment where Peter has this incredible revelation of who Jesus is. Jesus, Jesus says a couple of things. He says, first of all, Peter, I'm going to build on you. And then he says, because you've seen something that others haven't, and my father gave you and told you what that was. Listen, if we're going to build the church, there are a couple of things we need. Number one, we need people. We need people who are available. We need Peters. And Lawrence Kirk, you've got two right here. You've got two Peters here in Kirsty and Alley. You've got people who want to follow Jesus with everything in them. You've also got two people here who are open to what the Father says and are pursuing what he says. And so you've got availability and you have insight right here. And then Jesus says, and when you've got those two things going on, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. So build. I just love that the passage we're on today is this passage because we're handing something to you. And in this moment, Peter gets a glimpse of what's to come. I should have brought keys. 
But actually, that's not my job. It says, then the Father will give you the keys of the kingdom, not me. I give you some people that have been in my care. And I, I brought a couple of things today for you. And the, the first thing I brought is this. To Kirsty and Ali, I brought you a relay battery. And we all know she's a runner. I mean, so you're going to have a job keeping up. One of my favorite people in the world is Eric Riddle. I love just his story. I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Kirsty Broadley, run. Run hard. Because the church loves It says, and not that I have already obtained all of this. Or I've already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that which Christ took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward on what is ahead. I press on the goal which God has called me heavenward. Kirsty. Yes, there you go. But you see, we know that Ali's a builder. Isn't that right, pal? You love building. And Jesus said, upon this I will build my church. Upon these people, on this character, and on this insight and this revelation. Let me read you something. If I can. It is in here somewhere. For he is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock. And when the flood occurred, the torrent burst against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. You can design and create and build the most wonderful place in the world, but it takes people to complete the dream. Build. Build, brother. We're going to wrap up now. And uh, just two or three things, just in wrapping up. One, if, you're not, if your eyesight's not, not great, we're going to pray for you. Okay? We're going to do that. Anyone today who would love their eyesight to improve. Now, I'm just, we're just going to simply pray this, this morning for, that, for something to happen in that realm. But also maybe for some of us this morning, that whole thing about, I wanted to, I feel like I was home, but I'm not, and I feel a bit stuck. I just sense this morning, God by his spirit wants to unstick us a little bit and move us forward into another future, a better future for you. All right? So.